Hey there, Pastor Mark Jordan here from Hope Church. Thank you for stopping by and welcome to our online ministry. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all the content that's released. And while you're online, visit us at our webpage at placeofhope.org. Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him. And we hope that this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org. Well, good morning, friends and family. How are we today? I am outstanding. Thank you for asking. I'm kidding. Uh, Really, really am happy today is Stephanie's birthday up here on the front row. One of the days I love to celebrate and have some family here today. Uh, We're going to be taking a few days off this week to celebrate her birthday. And so I look forward to that as well. Just kind of give you all a heads up. But uh, we'll be here next week, so don't think you can skip out on that. Uh, Because next week we're going to close out our Scary Bible message series. How are you all feeling about the Scary Bible series this this year? Got any thoughts, feelings? Wow, not nearly as scary as it needs to be. So that means next year I got to do better. I'm teasing, I'm teasing. Thank you. Uh, I've gotten some pretty good feedback about it because I know that these are uh, topics we cover. You know, this October when already we're kind of zoomed in on uh, kind of scary, spooky things. And uh, I really wanted to take this opportunity this year uh, to look at some of these topics that we've, we've looked at. The very first week when we got into it, we talked about our propensity to worship the created versus the creator. And how that leads us into idolatry. And then last week we talked about a corrupted culture. And how this sense that we feel toward idolatry uh, can really cause us problems. And that problem is a three-letter word that is sin, right? And so as you'll see at the very bottom of our slide here, is God longs to restore us from our sinful idolatry. Now last week the main topic that we looked at, the story that we looked at, was Ezekiel's telling... Of how God or why God decided to punish Sodom and then Gomorrah. Of course, the detestable sins that the scripture refers to, but there was a source from those from which everything else seemed to flow. And it was three words. Do you remember what they were? Pride, arrogance, and laziness. Or I say it's not arrogance, pride and arrogance the same. Pride, gluttony, and arrogance. And so they had become such. a culture that was so full of themselves that we can see some parallels like our own. What pride and arrogance does, what gluttony seems to do, and what laziness does. And of course, the hope and help that we looked at from that, how God wants to restore us, is to give us a sense of humility when we think about pride, generosity as opposed to gluttony, and living lives of activated love as opposed to laziness. And so that's how we get into today's topic, which really carries it directly from last week's message about uh, the corrupted culture and that run-through thread that has come through all these messages, idolatry, and how we're going to really sink our teeth into this today when we think about God's commandments to have none other than Him. None other than God. Now, one of the things I want to say as a preface to this, if you've been around my preaching and teaching for, you know, really any length of time, I like to talk about how all of us have a throne 
on our hearts, so to speak. Now, when I talk about that, what I'm referring to is how the Scripture tells us that when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, He comes to live within us, with a fancy word, indwell within us. Therefore, we become a temple of the Holy Spirit, right? We become a temple of God. And in the center of our temple, much like in the center of the temple in the Old Testament, we have a Holy Holies, and something is going to sit on the throne inside the Holy Holies. What is it? What sits on the throne of your heart? Now, for me, I want it to be Jesus. That's really easy until we get into late September, early October, when the Braves and the Bulldogs hopefully doing really, really well, right? And also, in years like this, every other, every two-year cycle, politics begins to rage. And those are two of the things that I have the hardest time fighting my tendency into idolatry. Sports and politics. And as a result, if I am not careful, and it happens oh so easily and so frequently, I allow those things to dominate my thoughts, my feelings, my emotions, even my complete posture toward living. Now, that's not unique to me. Maybe you yourself can identify with how things like sports and politics has a tendency to take over your thought processes and your emotions and your feelings. But maybe those two things are irrelevant to you. There are undoubtedly things that you place so willingly, even at times against your own better judgment and will. There are things you place on the throne of your heart. I'll share two of mine. Anybody want to share what theirs are? Oh, come on. I knew better. We don't like to think about these things because it reminds us of how susceptible and how vulnerable we really are to things like idolatry. Idolatry, very simply and plainly put, is identified by the thing you place on the throne of your heart. Where do you spend the vast majority of your time, your energy, maybe even your money? Where do you place those idols? I put fun of myself a little bit last year about how I had to, uh, when we went out to Wyoming, I was unable to stay tuned in to my uh, podcasts and things like that. And I held that to the end of the year. And January was like, new year, new me. So I'm going to get back into my podcast. And I decided I was only going to listen to about half of them. Uh, by the time I got into, uh, at the end of September, I was spending more time and energy listening to podcasts and reading current events and political things than I was even a year ago. And I was doing pretty well. At least I think I was doing pretty well. Tiffany let me know I wasn't doing as well as I thought. But what I... Folks, I mean, this is just honest transparency here, right? This is, I'm trying to bear myself open because I want you to know this. It's not something that people don't struggle with. What I began doing was hiding my listening, much like an addict may hide the drinking or the pill popping or looking at websites that you're not supposed to look at or go into a bar or a pub or go into an, a, an adult establishment if you catch my drift, right? We hide these things because we don't want the shame that coincides with what happens when people see the real me. Are they going to think me a fraud? And so my confession comes to say, hey, I wrestle with this. I struggle with this. And you may be at this thing, man, if my struggles were only politics and sports, we'd be a whole lot better off, right? I, I get it. But it's baggage that we all have to carry. God says, have none other than me. And so our core passage for today gets into the first of the two of the Ten Commandments where God made this explicitly clear. Let's look at our scripture lesson for this morning, which is Exodus chapter 20, 
verses 3 through 6, we're going to pick up with the installation of the very first commandment where God says, you must not have any other God but me. Notice on the screen, is God capitalized in that first verse? No, it's not. God is talking about the little g gods, the idols, the things that we place on the throne of our heart. Okay, pick up with verse 4. You must not make for yourself any idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. Remember two weeks ago in Romans 1, we talked about our propensity to worship the creation over the creator. God is establishing this right here and right now in the Exodus version in the Old Testament. No other gods but me. Don't worship the things of this earth. Worship the one who put that stuff into motion. Can you tell I get passionate about this? Picking up. God says, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. That scares me sometimes. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. The word of God for God's people. Amen. Now, one of the things that we know is this idea of the generational curse has been freed and lifted by Jesus. But we all have sin in our lives, right? Last week we talked about how we may be free from the ultimate uh, consequence of sin... In, in terms of separation from God, but we are not free from the day-to-day, minute-to-minute consequences of sin. You remember that? We may be free from the penalty of sin ultimate in terms of eternal separation from God, but we are not free from the consequences of sin that have to do with when we allow these idols in our lives to take their disproportionate place in our lives. And God says, he is a jealous God. I have, ever since I was a little boy learning that on flannel boards, I've always struggled with jealousy and what it means to understand God as a jealous God because I can remember very clearly having a brother who's very close to me in age. My parents and my grandparents and aunts and uncles were trying to teach me, don't be jealous of your brother. Your brother's jealous of you too. Y'all have unique gifts. You have unique strengths. You have unique abilities. And both of you are fantastic and awesome at different things. So don't be jealous, right? And so I would hear those messages and read things like God said, I'm a jealous God. And I have a hard time squaring that. Have you ever thought about how difficult it is to square this idea of jealousy in God when we think about jealousy as a negative emotion? I want to try to help you a little bit today. So we have another screen for you to talk about the difference between jealousy and envy. Difference in jealousy and envy. Now, if you think about stuff you have versus stuff you don't have that you wish you had, this is where we see the difference emerge between envy and jealousy. Envy is wanting something that belongs to somebody else. In the Ten Commandments, God would say, thou shalt not covet, right? It means don't want something that doesn't belong to you or don't want things through which I did not bless you. I have a plan and a purpose for your life that doesn't always sync up with how you view others in the world. So God does not want us to envy, but he says he is a jealous God. And so what does that mean? Jealousy, as you'll see on the screen, is holding tightly to what is yours and is desired by somebody else. So you see how this works? Envy is when I don't have something that you have and I am willing to go to sinful lengths in order to achieve it or acquire it. And jealousy is when I have something that I want to keep that someone else is after. That's the difference in jealousy and envy. What do you think the most prized possession God has that someone else is after? Your soul. Our souls. God created your soul, placed it into your life. And in this spiritual battle, 
this peaked spiritual battle between God and his enemy Satan, they both are after your soul. Can you imagine something that is so precious that the creator of the universe and his mortal enemy are both fighting for the same exact thing? That is how precious and how priceless you are. Even with all of the junk that you may have in your life, even when the thing that sits on the throne of your heart is not God Almighty, God is still willing to lay it all out on the line to save you and to save your soul. God has it. He doesn't want to turn loose. The scripture tells us that once we are in God's hand, nothing can snatch us out. And that's like Mr. Miyagi's speed right there, right? Get the fly, Daniel-san. Right? Nothing can get it out of his hand. But the devil still tries. Now, Nothing can snatch us out of God's hand, but you know what? That doesn't mean you can't leap out of it. And that doesn't mean that God's hand isn't big enough for you. But what it does mean is that God says, if you are so, and I'm just going to go ahead and say, if you are hell-bent on jumping out of my hand, go. And I'm going to quote and do my Dr. Phil impression. How's that working out for you? Right? (laughs) How's that working out for you? This is Romans 1, friends. It's when God realizes that we exchange the truth for a lie. And we begin to think that we can live our life apart from our connectedness to God. And our propensity towards sinfulness isn't going to hurt, harm, or damage us. And after God has tried and tried and relentlessly tried to keep us from going that direction. And we continue to jump into it. Or we continue to touch the hot stove. Or we continue to do the things that we know that we should not do. Eventually God says, okay. I'm just going to have to remove my hand and let you see how that works out for you. But we also talked about it, if you remember two weeks ago, that beautiful passage out of the Chronicles where it says, those who seek to turn away from their sinful ways and turn to me and humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I will hear their prayers from heaven and restore their land. It's all about restoration. Even in the midst of our sinfulness, God is in the restoring business. Isn't that good news? Doesn't that excite you? It excites me. And God is jealous for you because he knows that there are forces at this world that are trying to snatch you out of God's hand. They can't, but that doesn't mean that you won't try to jump. And then we feel the tension in that about realizing there are things that we like on the thrones of our heart that isn't God. And we may be convicted of that. We're not condemned. We may be convicted of that. God brings us back. And we feel at peace, and then we begin to get that, dare I say, pride that I can dabble again, and it's not going to attack me the way that it used to. And I get gluttonous to say, I can not only take that, but I can take more and bring it on. And we get lazy, and we quit acting in love. And it's seen in our face, it's noticed in our demeanor, it's obvious in our reactions. We all are susceptible to sin, and the pride and the gluttony and the laziness that leads to it, and the idolatry that comes as a result. Things that we worship other than God. That last song that we sang deals with this next section that I want us to to review. It's Daniel chapter 3 with King Nebuchadnezzar and the golden statue. The passage is too long for just a middle portion of the message, so I'm just going to give you the review for it. But I would strongly encourage you uh, to go back and read Daniel 3. Tiff and I listened to it on the audio Bible yesterday just because it's it's so wonderful. But King King Nebuchadnezzar, that's hard to spell, so you use King Neb, whatever in your notes. But King Nebuchadnezzar 
wanted to be worshipped. And so he created this golden statue, and he made the proclamation that whenever you hear the band strike up and play a tune, you are to bow down and worship that golden statue. Now, Daniel and his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were there, and they said, nope, we can't do that. We can't sit and kneel and worship your statue. We are only here to worship God. And King Nebuchadnezzar actually gives them a second chance. He's, after the first time the band strikes up, they play the tune, they don't bow down. King Nebuchadnezzar gives them a second chance. So I'm telling you, next time you do it, I will throw you in my fiery furnace. Or don't do it, whatever. And so the band strikes up. All of Babylon goes to kneel and worship the golden statue except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Nebuchadnezzar has to follow through. I imagine in my mind that he doesn't want to totally do it because these are some valuable fellows in the kingdom. But he orders the furnace heated up seven times hotter than normal. What does seven mean? Complete and perfect, right? So I want that fire to be the biggest, hottest, meanest, baddest fire you can muster. And he throws Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace. It was so hot. It was blazing so hard that even some of the guards that threw the buddies in the furnace, they were consumed by the flames themselves. And Nebuchadnezzar wants to see the result of his flaming fury. And he looks inside the furnace and he sees three men and a fourth joined with him who looks like a son of the gods, a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ who is there in the fire with him. And as Nebuchadnezzar is dumbfounded by what he sees, another in the fire, he orders the furnace opened and to bring the three men out. Their outfits were not even singed. They did not even smell of smoke. And at that point, Nebuchadnezzar said, maybe I've gotten this all wrong. We now will worship the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the God Almighty. You see, we, when we think about the throne room of our heart, let's be honest, we're more like Nebuchadnezzar than we are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Worship what's important to me. Worship what's interesting to me. Put your time and your energy and your money into me. Bow down to me, my idol. And as a result... When that doesn't happen, we get infuriated, don't we? With a raging, burning fury. But we still must recognize that God wants none other in our life than him. And so the corrupted culture, the way that it works when we deal with this tension in the world with how we are living versus how we were designed to live, the corrupted culture is going to try to convince you to go the way of the world. This is why we see this repeatedly throughout the scripture, the New Testament in particular, is don't go the way of the world because the culture is going to try to get you to go in with it. This is the whole idea of peer pressure, right? Or groupthink. It's I want you to go the way of the world because that helps to, well, add validity to the way I feel and the things that I worship. And so when we look at how authorities are created on the earth and in the systems of humanity to try to keep all this under control, we see how this can become what Shakespeare would refer to as the rub, right? God says, have no other God than me. And so when the founders of the United States developed this constitutional form of government, they, they had two basic ideas that I think it's important for us to, to consider. One was they knew that it required a moral and a religious people in order to 
buttress and to support this idea of government. Why? That's because if we are living by the golden rule to do unto others as we would have them do unto us, then we are constantly looking and seeking and serving to benefit somebody else, to be of help and service to somebody else. But when we are living based on our idols, I'm sorry, that didn't come up very clearly, our idols is more like serve me, do what I want, do as I feel, do as I need, do as I say. And so we need that moral and religious posture that says, I'm going to first love and serve God. The other thing that we can see from the founders is that they wanted the strongest political forces to be closest to the people as possible. That's because they wanted us to run into our elected leaders at Walmart or at Racetrack or Quick Trip, right? Or at Taco Bell or Stars and Strikes. They wanted us to be able to run into our governing authorities in the places where we did life, where we work, where we learn, where we shop, where we play. Why? Because that's where accountability is, right? It's easy to make proclamations on high when you don't see or feel the people that it, that it impacts and that it hurts. And so if we get back to the original idea of the way the founding fathers created the government, it was about a moral and religious posture to living and keeping the accountability as close to the people as possible. Why? Because in our system of government, the people are sovereign. But what happens when the culture starts vibrating so rapidly and wanting to go off the rails, what ends up happening is we've got to find some way to hold it, to keep it from going off the rails. And that's where we see some of the conflict and the friction and the criticisms and cynicisms that we are experiencing in our culture right now is that there are forces all around us that are trying to stop us from shaking and vibrating so much and going off the rails. Right now, the rotors on Tiffany's van are getting close to needing to be repaired, I mean, replaced or resurfaced, whatever. They're still fine. The brakes still work fine. But when you are slowing down it from a rapid speed, what happens to the steering wheel? It shakes, right? We had it checked out this week. Nothing really wrong with it. It's just time to be resurfaced. Let's wait until the brake pads need replacement. And so you can feel that shaking, that vibration. Like, I got to control it. I got to control it. The problem is the control that we're seeking, that we're giving our life over to, isn't the one with a capital O says, you should have no other gods before me and so our authorities begin to say bless you well not necessarily that but they begin to say these are the golden statues i need you to worship political party my friends is not immune to this it may be a mask it may be a wall right it may be a politician who says Arbitrarily, he is the hope and the change. It may be a politician who says only he can make a country great again. We're not immune to this. And the idolatry that we feel, we think that there is a politician, a person, or a program that we can put in place to stop that wobble and that vibration. We are submitting and surrendering ourselves to idolatry because God himself said, you shall have no other gods than me. And when you make your idols something that is corruptible, guess what? Guess what? It'll be corrupted. That's why we have no other gods than God. We are not to worship the created. We are to worship the creator. And I don't know if it's just because I've really matured a lot, but I think in the last, say, 15 to 20 years, we see so much of this. I don't think it's just me. It's the rise of cable news after 9-11. I didn't even know what a cable news channel was before 9-11. I didn't care. 
because I was too wrapped up in sports, but, right? I think it also to do with smart technology that we carry in the palm of our hand or our pocket, the database of all human knowledge and history and experience, and also social media where we begin to get our own sense of self-worth based on how many likes and clicks and follows and shares we get. And so we've got to be careful. And so when we want to commit our life to having no other God than God in this world, we have cultural influences that are trying to slow the wobble and to get us to commit to their program as opposed to God's. What are we to do? Well, the first thing that we need to do is to remember that God has placed human authorities in place to be a stand-in, so to speak, for him, right? So in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, this is what we read. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. I don't know how to make sense of that. Do you? When you see all of our worldly, humanly systems wobbling off the point, whereas I just want a politician or somebody to go in and clean house. That's what I want. But that's not what I'm able to do. What we realize from this, though, is that every single one of us, everyone, we are to submit to the sovereign. Have you ever seen God perform a miracle in your life? Have you ever prayed for a miracle in your life? Have you ever, excuse me, seen God work a miracle in somebody else's life? We hold on to this. Are we praying for our elected leaders? Are we praying that God will work and intervene in their lives? Because just as we have to be obedient to our earthly authorities, they are obedient to God. They may not know it. They may not believe it. But they are. And so we have to, as all of us, recognize which God we're going to serve, to use the words from Joshua as they move into the promised land. Choose to say who you will serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You have to look inside the throne room, throne room of your heart and say, what is it I'm going to worship? What is it I'm going to serve? Because God has placed human authorities in, instead, it's two words, instead, not instead, as a stand-in for him to help us control that cultural wobble. Now, friends, this makes me very uncomfortable because there are things that I've seen authorities do, not just in the government, not just in a denomination, not just in a, a you know, family structure type thing, community structure. There are things that I have always felt and experienced that seem to rub me the wrong way, to give me that rub is what am I supposed to do? Well, the Bible also has an answer for that. And it comes back to what we saw with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but we also see from Jesus to the disciples as they become apostles and go out into the world. So what if it's a contradiction? Look at what Peter said. We must obey God rather than human authority. That if we ever come upon or across some type of government mandate or edict that runs against God's will, we have a godly duty to stand up against it. It was Benjamin Franklin who said obedience or rejection of tyranny is obedience to God. Resistance of tyranny is obedience to God. I love that. Someone ought to put that on a t-shirt. But this is what it's talking about is if we are faced with a force or a choice, if we're forced to face a choice 
about obeying God or obeying our earthly masters, and our earthly masters are telling us to do things that violate our own sense of godliness, then we have to follow God's. Now, does that mean that we are going to be immune from the consequence of that? Please say no. Because Christ and all but one of his disciples were martyred. You would think that, that would be a hard sell for a religion that has upended the world order for millennia. But there's something about that surrender to the sacrificial suffering and the redemptive suffering that we all face. It says, this thing's got to be real. Why would someone be willing to give their life, their freedom, their justice for something that is potentially harmful to them? We've got to be willing to stand up and say, I am going to go God's way, even if it means I get called out on social media, even if it means I face struggles and problems at work, or even if it means the fiery furnace gets heated up seven times hotter than normal. I cannot and I will not do anything but follow God's plan for my life. That is a difficult balance to strike. But here's something beautiful for us. When God wants us to stand up, he wants us to stand up against injustice. Micah 6, 8 says, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires you, of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. To do what is right uh, is more words for justice, right? Justice in the biblical languages means to make whole. Unfortunately, in our justice systems, it becomes more of a punishment system because we are incapable of making someone whole for what they have experienced or what they have done or damage that they have inflicted or been inflicted upon. And so we have to love justice, but recognize that God is the only one who can bring the utter, full, ultimate justice that we seek. So then we are to love mercy, right? Mercy is all about withholding some of the punishment that they deserve so they can receive the love that they get. That doesn't mean that we don't seek justice in our system, but it's to seek the greatest ground of mercy and then to walk humbly with God. In other words, like John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus coming across the landscape. He must increase and I must decrease. That is what God wants us to do. To have none other than him. And to acknowledge our tendency toward idolatry. God, I promise you, will continue to show up and to show out for you. But we also have to remember what happened with Shadmach, Meshach, and Abednego is that when they, for the second time, committed their lives, maybe even their fortune and sacred honor, I don't know, fortune and sacred honor, I don't even borrow declaration of independence, but when they said, we are going to stand up for what is right with God, even if it puts us at odds with you, King Nebuchadnezzar, they said something that is absolutely imperative for you to hear and to carry with you as you make a decision today. Are you going to live for God or the idols in your heart? They said these words. We believe that God will rescue us from this. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego believed and they knew in their heart of hearts the consequence for the decision they were making. And they were willing to stand up for it, even though it might cost them greatly. If they had that even if faith that told them 
that even if the worst thing happened in that moment, that God was going to use it for his glory and to help restore his people. And the same is true for you and me today. When we are called to obey God, to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God, we must take with it that even if faith, that I hope I don't have to go through this difficulty, but even if I do, Lord, I know you're with me. Friends, even Jesus himself prayed this in the Garden of Gethsemane, didn't he? He said, Lord, let this cup pass from me. But not my will be done. Your will be done. And so I want you to know that when you approach the difficulties that you have in your life with an even-if faith that God shows up for you. Isaiah chapter 43 Verses 2 through 3. This verse became real to me when I was in seminary and my dad was dying from cancer. I can remember sitting in one of my uh, accountability groups, class groups, and someone else read this. And I heard it as though I had never heard it before. These are the words from Isaiah chapter 43, verses 2 through 3. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. You, when you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Your salvation may not look quite like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's. But if you approach it with an even-if faith, you can know that when the floodwaters rage and when the fires burn, they will not consume you. Your life, your example of faith, may be about standing up to give someone else the courage to do the same. And that's what we see from Jesus and his disciples and his apostles. That they stood up and said, even in my own martyrdom, I know that God's glory will be revealed and God's restoration will happen. And you and I sit and stand here this morning as an example of what other people's even if faith has done and means to you and me. Thanks be to God, amen? I want to, Jesus, because of even if faith, I don't like it most of the time, right? I don't like the, the sacrifice that it takes, the surrender that it takes, the consequences that we feel. But God shows up, and I can guarantee you that it will be better throughout all of eternity when we submit to the authority and when it goes against what God asks us to do, stand up and stand strong, and to know that when we stand up against injustice, when we love justice, we seek mercy and to walk humbly with God. God shows up and God shows out. So here's your help, hope and help for today. To not let our corrupted culture turn you away from God. All you have to do is turn on the television, open social media. If anyone has seen a new newspaper in a while, right? All you have to do is look at it and realize that our culture is wobbling and shaking. And there are cultural forces trying to say, if you will just enact this law or pass this policy or elect this person, it'll all quit wobbling. It's not going to quit wobbling. So we've got to surrender and submit ourselves to God and not let our corrupted culture deceive us otherwise. We must live a life of obedience and holiness, walking humbly with God, saying, God, I'm going to decrease here and I need you to increase. And then to trust God when life gets hot and hard. When those waters rise and those flames rage. To trust God through it all. Because he said, you must not have any other God but me. He's going to lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love and obey. It's my prayer 
that we make that decision today. Say, Lord, I'm going to love and obey you. I'm going to submit and surrender. I'm going to do justice. I'm going to seek to make people whole. I'm going to love mercy more than retribution, and I'm going to walk humbly with you. So please increase in my life so I may decrease. Point out my sinfulness that has become idolatry and lead me in the way of everlasting life. Love, faith, and hope for generations upon generations. Amen. Pray with me, please. Living and loving God, I thank you for today, and I thank you for the difficulties of topics such as this, where we see revealed in our own lives our own tendency to bow down and worship things of this earth and things of this world, and then to begin to place our hope in peoples or policies or procedures that, that aren't of you or from you. And so forgive us of that, Lord. Help us with a clean conscience to be able to to stand up when we see injustice going on around us and with that same conscience have the conviction of spirit and soul to stand up and say, no, no. Lord, I follow you. I'm not going to allow the hands of a wobbling culture try to keep me and get me to do things that violate my conscience and my sense of what you've called to be right and good. And so, Lord God, help us to kneel before we ever hope to stand up against injustice. And in that kneeling, to dedicate our lives to you, to have you reveal to us what sits on the altar of our heart, to allow those things to decrease so you may increase and we may be about shining your light of faith and hope and love in this world that is so desperately in need of it. I ask this in the holy, helping, healing name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We are glad that you stopped by. Again, we want to encourage you to visit us online at placeofhope.org. If you're in the Paulding County area there, you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him, and we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.